0: Hi, I'm Jen Turner, and I'm a psychic medium.
1: Hi, I'm Nadia Thorman, and I'm like the Ryan Seacrest to her Teresa Caputo.
0: And we're here to have a normal conversation about weird stuff.
1: Welcome to The The Soul Soul Spot. Hello, friends. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Soul Spot. Welcome to the Soul Spot. I am so excited for this episode. Jen. I know. I think this is the most excited I've ever been for. An I episode. mean, same. We've got a really amazing episode with one of our good friends. I hope it helps people. I think it will. She's got an amazing story to tell.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that you guys are in for a real treat over the next couple of episodes. This is a woman who I will get choked up if I talk about too much because I'm just so incredibly proud of her journey and somebody that I admire and respect so much. So thank
1: you so much for joining us. Uh, We are talking about Marivelle. Maribel. (laughs) Maribel Gardner, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Yay. Hi, friends. Thank you for joining us today. I'm so excited. This episode, I'm not sure what we're going to call it yet, but the theme is basically spiritual recovery. Yes. And to leave what no longer serves you. Yes. And it kind of goes back to everything we always talk about, right? Like connecting to self, living your true self, being authentic in your connection with self and God. Yeah, and what I love so much about what we're about to kind of um, embark on is just
0: the idea of God being within you and, like, the accessibility of God within our reach and that
1: God isn't um, for the few, right? I love that. I love it so much. So, Marivelle, say hello. Hello, everybody. (laughs) So we have a long history with our beautiful Marivelle. And I met Marivelle one fateful day in high school. We locked eyes and never looked back. And then Jen and Marivelle first met when you guys were eighteen, through me—like eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, I think. yeah, probably. And it was magic. Yeah, it just was just water. the magic. Three Bs. <laughs> yep, we had a lot of fun together, and we still do. Yeah. But there was a time when we didn't see Marivelle so much. We lost her for a while. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to talk about that today. Yeah, we're going to get into it. It kind of all goes back to everything we're talking about.
0: So today's episode is going to be a little bit different in terms of the format because we have so much to cover. So um, we're going to kind of just jump right in right now um, and ask you a few questions, Marivelle.
2: Okay, I'm ready.
1: Okay, so Marivelle's journey goes like this. She was in the Mormon religion for how many years?
2: I was baptized when I was 16, and I left when I was 35.
1: Okay, so... So you do the (laughs) (laughs) baptism. So quite a while. And you kind of had this really big realization, this moment where, you know, you never saw it coming. It wasn't ever a plan, no. But you got married in the church, you have four beautiful children, you do have an amazing husband, mm-hmm. and there was um, a moment of, you know, where you kind of looked at everything and it didn't make sense anymore. And yes. how, how long ago was that?
2: That was um, around New Year's Eve 2017.
1: Okay, so we're talking about like three and a half years. Three and a half years. Post-Mormonism. Yes. All right, and we're going to just talk about all of these things and how you had this moment of reckoning where you kind of looked at everything and it didn't make sense anymore. And I want you to talk about when that started. You have this amazing analogy you've told me before, and I think a lot of people out there who are having a crisis of faith will relate. Mm -hmm. Um, But you have this shelf analogy, and I, I want you to talk about that.
2: Okay, well... It was, it really started with my husband. So he was questioning things before I was. Um, But because of the culture in the church, he was keeping it quiet. So um, I kind of happened upon, we bought a new car, and he was listening to podcasts. And um, I went and I got in his car, but his phone was connected to the Bluetooth. So I turned on the car, and it started talking about Mormonism, but it said the F word. And so I was... was, Scandalous. It was so crazy, (laughs) because I'd never heard anybody talk about the church and use that kind of language Were you scared
0: when you heard it, or like, what do you feel when you haven't heard that in so long?
2: Um, I literally hadn't said the F word in 20 years, like... It was shocking. I I felt all the blood drain out of my face. Like Like something's up here. Yeah. It it was extremely uncomfortable. So I went in the house and I'm like, hey, what are you listening to? Like, what, where did this come from? And he shuts his computer really fast. And I'm like, that's super suspicious. (laughs) Like, what the heck is going on? So I... At some point, his computer was open, and he was reading an article that was called "Faith Crisis," mm. and I had never heard that term before. So I questioned him. I was like, Abe, "What is a faith crisis?" And he's like, "Oh, nothing." Dah, dah, dah. Mm. Because this is such a big deal. Yeah, you cannot leave your religion, especially a high-demand religion, the way we were in it, easily. Right, like. You are in it a thousand percent.
1: I think it's really good to talk about here how there are certain religions, and this was your experience with this one, where you really, really, really wholeheartedly believe Mm -hmm. that your salvation is dependent on this set of rules. Right. I know this isn't the case for anybody. So this podcast is not meant to be an anti-religion podcast. It's not meant to be... An anti-mormon podcast we are just having a conversation about when a toxic environment no longer serves you when an, there are people who are your direct line to salvation and god right mm-hmm. and for you that was your truth right like you wholeheartedly believed every single thing so
2: if we can like back up a little bit and I was baptized when I was 16 years old. My family was living in Australia, and the missionaries knocked on my parents' door. And my parents let them in, and we were baptized within a week. Now, in Mormonism, you have to take all these lessons. You have to take, like, seven lessons before you can be baptized. And we took all the lessons, and we were baptized that Sunday after we went to church for the first time. Like... In Mormonism, it was, I think it was Is like, that unusual?
0: Yes. Like, is your story unusual for that? Because most of the time you're born into it, right?
2: Right. A lot of times you're born into it, or you investigate for a long time, or... These lessons usually take longer. So you actually have memories, because you were 16, mm-hmm. of life
0: before Mormonism. Right. Okay. That's an interesting kind of, I guess, like, idea to play with. Because right. th- those early years form so much of our belief system, and... I'm a big believer, as you know, that our connection with God is so strong in those early right. years. Right. So so then religion truly was introduced to you at 16, but not God. Right. right. Okay.
2: Religion. I mean, um, growing up, I remember being a super spiritual. And when I say spiritual, I didn't know what to call it. I had no language for this whatsoever. We were not religious. We didn't go to church. <clears throat> but I would... I would figure out ways to pray. Like, Hmm. I had heard of God, and my dad went to Desert Storm, and so I remember laying in my bed at night saying, please keep my dad safe over and over and over Hmm. again, picturing my words like a bridge to my dad. Like, my eyes, like, we're all getting welled up over here. I don't know about you
0: guys listening, but that's, like, so beautiful because that's an innate thing to know to connect with. Right.
2: How amazing. I know. So I really... I found spirituality for myself, you know, and it was, it was mine. It wasn't something I talked to my parents about. It wasn't something I talked to anybody about. Mm -hmm. And it also went along with a lot of, at the time we called them ghost stories. Mm -hmm. Like I, um, everybody in my family had had ghost stories. My Nana, my mom, my dad, like... We would sit around the table and tell stories of spirits and interactions with spirits. And so cool. It's so cool. And like my my um my auntie in Australia um has a story of talking to fairies when she was little. I love and like that. I connected with these stories more than any other aspect of my life. Like I became obsessed with watching sightings and like Hearing other people's ghost stories, and it was I, something that rang true to you, right? Okay. And I always felt the presence. I was alone a lot as a kid, and I always felt other people around. Like mm. I could always sense that there was like this generational thing. I didn't have a big family, but I always felt surrounded.
0: Kids
1: know. They just I mean, do. Kids it's know. so beautiful, you know? and
0: that that is kind of a gift in a way for you and your story, like leaving the Mormon Church, mm-hmm. because. You knew where to go again.
1: Right.
2: And a lot of people don't have that, Mm -hmm. you know? But it's also used to discredit um, converts because... But I think it's actually a strength into even more um, fundamentalist thinking when you join a religion. Because as a convert, I had to decide at 16 years old that, like, yes, I believed this. You know? Mm. And so... I think when you're raised in it and you get baptized at eight years old, like the way people in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints do, um, you don't have this huge moment. A lot of people don't. Yeah, it's more organic. It's more organic. So um, I remember the different jibes and like things people would say like, oh, you're a convert you're not as strong or your testimony, you know, like you don't have this mm. generational. So you felt history. judged even then. Right. Okay. I felt That's judged me. as a convert, mm. but as a convert, I, I had more to prove. I, it's like you're a transfer student, right? <laughs> right? Like You went from like <laughs> JC to the so I have to university. So to be like super cool. Yeah. <laughs> For everybody to accept me. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I was a convert and, that was really hard for me in the religion, but I had the missionaries knocked on our door mm-hmm. and they asked about our relationship with God, and my mom invited them in, and they left us with a challenge, and the challenge was to pray and ask if there was a God. And so I remember at 16 years old, getting on my knees in my room by myself. hmm. And asking if there was a God, and immediately I felt like a bolt of lightning from the top of my head go all the way through my feet. I'm feeling it right now. Yeah. It's crazy. It was It was crazy. You are feeling mm-hmm. it right now. <laughs> I swear. I'm trying not to get emotional. Um, it was a confirmation to me that there was something beyond this life, and There's this phrase in the ex-Mormon community and it's that they take what's already yours and sell it back to you. Mm -hmm. So I was told that feeling that I had had nothing to do with my connection to God or the spirit world. It was a confirmation that this church was true. Mm -hmm. So that experience... um, carried me through being
1: baptized and joining a church. Church, sorry. I mean, wow. Uh, I love that, and it's just so poignant to that moment you were in your bedroom with by yourself. That, that was your connection with God, right? Right. right. There was no um, man there to lead you through that, to validate that for you, to tell you that this was correct, and real. That was all you. Right. It was your connection with God. And I think that's such an important message. You know, if you you are in a place where you have people telling you, no matter what religion or whatever, that, you know, your relationship with God and your spirituality is, you know, contingent on these things and you can only talk through these people and because you know you're a woman you're not worthy right I mean (laughs) so
2: they took what was mine and and they sold it back back to to me um
1: and and I don't think Mormonism
0: is the only place that does that. you know like there's a lot of religions I think that I've seen along the way that do that and politics and so many things that
2: it's a tactic right Mm mm-hmm when you are part of a group, part of the um, appeal to staying with it is that you're part of a group, but the downside to that is there has to be an other. There has to be an other that you're all standing against. So it happens in everything. It happens mm-hmm. and in And that's schools. true tribalism. Right. Right? That's true tribalism, right? Right. So it happens in schools. It happens in politics. It happens in jobs. It happens everywhere in groups of friends even small groups nailed big it groups. so it's um something that's really really common
0: yeah if there's an us there has to be a them
2: mm-hmm.
0: right mm-hmm. or for 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 there to be an us there has to be a them right right so that's a really interesting kind of way of putting it and i feel i feel like just from the little that i do know about um like my my relationships with friends who are mormon is that us is more than just church now Mm -hmm. too right like it floods into personal friendships and family and sports and school and like so many different aspects right to where
2: it is almost more reinforced everywhere you turn it's reinforced Right. right so I just recently saw this diagram and it's talking about how to protect your kids from abuse and the way you do it is you give your kids the opportunity to be friends with people in different circles. So if you picture three, three circles, one is family, one is school, and one is, like, friends. You do that. If yeah. those, if your kids have soccer friends that are different than church friends, and if your kids have um, school friends that are different than church friends, then
0: they are more diversified. It's such a fascinating thing. I mean, Nadia's looking at me right now saying that's something that I actually like take to be so true. Um, there's a book out there called Girls on the, girls on the Edge, I think it's called, and um, he talks about that concept mm-hmm. for, for a female's identity, especially younger, to have other groups. So when shit hits the fan, as it will with right. like teenage girls, you have a different aspect. You have a different avenue of friends. And your self-worth isn't totally crushed because everyone you know is in that, you know? Right.
2: And with these, um, like within, I think you still call it Mormonism. I've been out for three years and they changed the rules like, <laughs> since I left. So I don't know what that term is. But within Mormonism, you are, I was scared of the outside world. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to send my kids to church schools. Yeah, I'm going to have my kids play with church friends. Yeah, I'm going to have my kids on the team of all church members. What's the fear? Um, the fear is of others and of information. You're always told that there's like anti-Mormon lies and that you have to keep your testimony strong. So you just surround yourself with these people that think exactly like you do.
0: Did you fear like, for example, because you knew us,
2: but like, would you fear that what we were doing was like sinful or evil you know, like, that's a tough question because I was so close with you guys. You guys were my lifeline out of the church. And my home life wasn't great. And I wasn't really accepted in the the friend group, the specific friend group of Mormons in high school. So I didn't look at quote-unquote non-members as... Sinning or feel for. I loved you guys. I believed in you. I, I could never think of you like that. But if I had had only member friends, I absolutely would have thought of you like that. You know, you have to, um, you have to keep your testimony strong. The biggest. I'm like crying
0: over here, so I'm just gonna keep drinking.
2: That helps, right? Yeah. And since champagne
0: always helps the tears. <laughs> you guys, this
2: is so special for us. But um, the the biggest fear in Mormonism is that you will lose your testimony. You are a hundred percent all day, every day. You go to seminary before school. You go to church activities on the weekdays. You go to church activities on Saturday, and then you're at church all day Sunday. What is the testimony? Like, break that down for us. Like, what does that mean? A testimony is an unwavering knowledge, not a belief, but a knowledge that the church is the one true church and your only way to heaven.
1: Oh. Okay, this is such a bigger conversation because (laughs) there are so many things, I feel like, specifically with your experience of Mormonism, and I'm sure a lot of other religions out there, where... There are so many things tied to your salvation. One of them being money. Right. Right? Tithing. So, explain that process. So,
2: um, with adult Mormons, you have to have a temple recommend to get into the temple. That is where all the life saving, soul saving ordinances are performed. Okay.
1: So, basically, you're not getting, you're, you're, not getting into heaven or whatever, your salvation is contingent upon these specific rules. Yes. One of them being tithing. What is it? Ten percent of your income.
2: Ten percent of your income.
1: Damn.
2: <laughs> there you go. Uh, I could have bought uh, an island or something somewhere for all the. a island. planet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah,
1: more specifically, a planet. <laughs> Oh boy!
2: <laughs> that,
1: that cringe, cringe. So I love this so much, but also a she's nervous. like cringing and like very nervous,
2: but it's like fine. you
1: guys. There's so much; it's so hard to like oh. try
2: to figure out how to explain this. But the temple recommend there are several questions on there, and um, one of them is being chased. So like, no sex before marriage. Once you're in marriage, only sex with your partner. Like back in the 70s. I don't know how specific we want to get or how... Our tell read, us, tell like. us, tell us. We'll
1: put, we'll put a, the the little explicit on this podcast before people yes. listen.
2: This is the juicy stuff. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is like all the fun right. stuff to talk about.
1: Tell, tell it all.
2: There used to be... There have been several things taken out. So one of the things used to be that even between a husband and wife, that oral sex was prohibited. Mm. Like, nope. You're not going to heaven if you... Like, why yes. the heck? But, I mean, they get really personal because they also ask you if you wear your garments, your underwear, all day, every day.
1: Do you Wait, who talk-
2: asks you that? The bishop or the bishop's counselor. Like, my husband was a bishop's counselor, so he had to give people these interviews.
1: Okay, let's talk about Mormon underwear. Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> let's do it.
0: Let's do it. Um, Side
1: note. Honestly, before you actually told me after you left... I had no idea what it really meant and mm-hmm. I was a little flabbergasted. I'm not going to lie. Right. Cuz so, you looked it up. Well, I looked it up and then I asked you about it. Right. And you told me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz we're BFFs. What the Well, heck? <laughs> so explain what how how restrictive as a woman all this oh all these layers you have to wear under your clothing. I mean, it's
2: It's all tied back to the the shame and the control. Okay? So we were talking about temple questions because we were talking about how they um, how they keep you in. They they control what you eat. There's a word of wisdom: you can't drink coffee, you can't drink tea, you can't. There's a whole thing on meat that's kind of iffy. They control what you wear, your underwear. They control what you spend your money on, what you do with your time. I mean, it is a high demand religion, and I didn't know what that term meant before. I left Mormonism.
1: I have no idea. So wild to me. I mean, I'm out on all of those things.
2: <laughs> well, what's interesting to me is that this is no, a this
1: no is thing.
0: a. I mean, it's like a dogma, I guess, written right, like or, or ordinances and um, mm-hmm. and rules written by old white men,
2: Joseph Smith specifically. Yes. Oh, okay.
1: I mean, here's the thing, is that just. Based on that alone, there's so many things that are just, I don't know, I I could almost call it inhumane, right? It's like to have... on It's humiliating and it's... Yeah, it's 100 degrees outside. Mm -hmm. You're expected to wear another layer of Mm -hmm. clothing underneath your dress. It's like probably some cotton polyester blend and then put your bra on top of that, (laughs) correct? Right. Put your bra on top of a capsule. But that was all like that underwear, for example. Let's take that, Kate, because it's
0: like an easy, fun one. Like that was, that was from Joseph Smith or that was interpreted?
2: Um, no, that was from Joseph Smith. And funny side note is Joseph Smith wasn't wearing, this is deep, dark doctrine. You guys don't care, but I love it. do. <laughs> yeah, we do. Tell us, tell us. He was, uh, the rumor is that he was not wearing his garments the night he was shot and killed. So he was a martyr. And so it was like, oh, well, see, there you go. Okay. 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 So we have, we've kind of like gone off.
1: Yes. <laughs> in, the best I, way possible. in the best way
0: possible but I want to like bring it back because we started talking about like the podcast with you and your husband maybe you thought he was watching porn on his laptop right but That's it wasn't it was like. yeah. <laughs> so tell us like what happened with that again because I know um Naughty was trying to get you to like explain like something
2: myself yes okay go okay so um we were all in as Mormons, like, there was no gray area. My husband had a super high calling. I was raising my kids, I was actually homeschooling my kids with an LDS homeschool curriculum. That was like, I was so you were in a it. really good Mormon. I was, I was like super duper, super duper into it. I had no doubts whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So, we moved to Texas and part of the thing that happens when you leave your religion there's two parts of it they say that you won't actually leave your religion unless you have these two parts so you can you have to believe it and you have to enjoy going okay <coughs> excuse me so you can have one or the other you can enjoy going and not believe it and still stay in your religion you cannot and then vice versa,
1: whatever that is. Right, like there's, you can it there's this it community and social right. aspect and maybe things that you can kind of balance out with any doubts you have, right? Right,
2: and then you can also believe it and not enjoy the culture, but also still make it work. So both of those things have to crumble for you to actually make the steps to leave your religion. It's the biggest deal anybody could ever possibly imagine. So when we went to Texas... Um, we were in the Sunday school lesson, and the guy stood up, and <clears throat> he was saying something super racist, and I felt immediately uncomfortable.
1: You can take a sip of water. Okay, thanks. <laughs> we're back.
2: Yes. So, he was saying something super racist, and it made me really uncomfortable, and we were in, like, the deep south. I'd never experienced that in my natural life before i honestly i knew it existed but i had never personally experienced it and so i raised my hand and i contradicted the teacher and i was like that doesn't seem very christ-like like what are you talking about and two older gentlemen in their like 60s behind me cut me off and pulled out their scriptures and started reading like these justifications for their racist remarks And, like, put me in my place. Wow. So, like, I went, like, humiliated. You know? I went bright red. I was just, like, humiliated in front of the whole class for, like, speaking up against. But you still felt like it was wrong. Oh, yeah. yeah. I I 100% felt it was wrong, but I had just been reprimanded with scriptures in hand, and I was, like, gross. I was so
1: appalled. Publicly shamed. Yes. For just basically speaking. For being
2: like, that doesn't sound very Christ-like, and they're like, oh, no, here's where Christ said it's okay to separate yourselves, and I'm like, what? So I left the meeting, and I went out in the parking lot, and I cried, Mm. and I was like, I cannot, I don't, I I hadn't made any friends in that ward, we were new, my kids hadn't made any friends, we were really struggling to enjoy the culture, it was like, we did not fit in. Yeah. And then, my husband, um, my sister-in-law had left, one of his sisters, when he was in the bishopric. So, one of the other things that you're not supposed to ever do as a Mormon is read anti-Mormon literature. And nobody really tells you what that is. You just know to, like, stay away from it because it'll ruin your
1: life. So anything questioning or criticizing the church. Right. You're just, it's blasphemy.
2: Right. There's even a quote from one of the apostles, Elder Oaks, and he says um, something to the effect of you don't criticize your church leaders even if that criticism is warranted.
1: Okay. Wow.
2: Like, (laughs) Silence yourself. It's pretty straightforward. Do not criticize the church. Your voice is not as important. Right. So um, Abe had given himself permission to read these controversial things, which really were just histories and articles and things by people that weren't members of the church because he wanted to bring his sister back. And because he was in the bishopric, he felt like he had to reconvert her.
1: Because his sister had left. Yes. Right, okay.
0: Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay, so, so that's what, how he stumbled upon it. Was yes. with the intention of bringing her back. Exactly.
2: And he had stumbled upon things. So there's apologetics. It's like if you stumble upon one thing you're not sure about, like, um, I mean, there's so many, but just say, like, the Book of Mormon as a historical document. Okay. Um there's all these reasons why it's proven that the Book of Mormon was absolutely a thousand percent, not a historical document, like just a hundred percent
1: whereas like in Christianity, I think it's pretty widely accepted that you can look to um people who study religions, historians, things that have nothing to do with the dogma aspect but more of the historical aspect, and it's okay to explore can, that right yes, yes like it's not like nobody in your hope i mean i'm not i'm speaking in broad terms here because there's lots of different types of christianity but right. i think i'm trying to relate it to the same idea as just going and looking at things to be historically accurate right right which is like you should be allowed to have autonomy over your thoughts like and in your literature right
2: you know or like, <laughs> like how the bible was put together like there there are historical concrete things where they can say okay, they came from these scrolls or this, you know, like you're well, allowed to yeah, yeah. Like, do a deep dive. And in Mormonism, it's like, no. So one of the things in the Book of Mormon is like, there's all these things in the Book of Mormon that were not on the American continent at the time that it was supposed to be written. Okay, so it's like steel, horses, all this stuff is supposed to be in America, and it's not. It's Joseph Smith thinks that those things are in America because Joseph Smith lived only two hundred years ago. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, yeah.
2: And the Book of Mormon is supposed to be two thousand years old, so it's like or three thousand, six thousand. I don't know. Okay, I don't know exactly the but, dates. But
1: but actually, the Book of Mormon is only a few hundred years old.
2: Right, because Joseph Smith wrote it in, in what 1830 something. We don't okay. know exactly. There you go. When he wrote it. There's a whole, I could talk to you about that too, but the bottom line is Abe came across all these facts and things, but the apologetics of the church is like, oh no, no, no. When it says steel in the Book of Mormon, they're actually talking about this other metal. They just made a mistake. Or when they're talking about horses, they're actually talking about tapirs. Do you know what a tapir
1: is? Had no idea. No,
2: it's like a short pig like animal with like a snout. And they say that American Indians were running around on tapirs, like
1: common knowledge, (laughs) (laughs)
2: like Uh. it's it's crazy.
1: So, when you say the apologetics,
0: that's that sounds formal. So, that's like a formal thing, meaning that they had to apologize for this. Several enough times to make it like formal, to where it's kind of like disclaimer on all of these, right? So
2: the church, yeah, yeah, the church has they call them scholars. It's debatable, but all these people that write papers constantly doing apologetics, like trying to take all the problems that people have with the Book of Mormon or Joseph Smith or whatever, and, and justify it. Okay. And I've heard it explained like a brick wall. Okay, so you're looking at a brick wall and from far apart you're like, oh yeah, that wall's super sturdy. And you get up and you look with a flashlight at one brick and you're like, oh wait, that brick is crumbling. It's got a crack in the middle. And then you look around and you're like, wait, all these bricks have cracks in them. Right. And then you step back and you realize the wall is, not really a wall, it's just about to crumble. You know, it's... It's really easy to, like, justify and twist and contort these facts into, like, okay, okay, like, I get how you can step around that and believe this. So they don't ever have to take a look at everything altogether, is what I'm saying.
1: Okay, I want to circle this back around to this to shelf a- analogy you <laughs> gave me and right. the moment of reckoning in the car with Abe. Bring us right. to the moment... Of the podcast, of the infamous podcast with your husband.
2: So my husband had been reading apologetics, and he says he was going to be happy just reading this forever, just like twisting and turning and figuring it out, maybe going and not believing all the way. But he wasn't ever going to bring it up to me because we were married for eternity in the temple, and we had four kids, and it is commonly and widely known and justified that if your husband leaves the church you should divorce him Mm -hmm. like you should leave
0: him because he's and that's the only justification of leaving right leaving your husband
2: well yeah it's a main like divorce is not encouraged in the mormon faith but if if they leave the church they've taken away your eternal family so Then it's perfectly justified. You should leave him and find somebody that can, like, pull you into heaven. Okay. So Abe um, was doing all this secretly. I heard the podcast that said the F word. I went in. He had a paper up or an article up on his laptop that said faith crisis. And I confronted him and he blew it off. But then he went to sleep with podcasts in his ear every (laughs) single night. And I'm like, what are you so obsessed with that... You can't take these AirPods out. So then, this is why I know exactly the date. We decided to go to Austin for New Year's Eve. And he's like, I just want you to listen to one podcast. Hmm. And I'm like, no, I can't. Like, it makes me so uncomfortable. I don't want to hear your crazy anti-Mormon, like, podcasts. And he's like, no, no, no. This guy is a bishop. He has a temple recommend. His name is Bill Real, and I think it's Mormon Discussions that his podcast. And so we pulled it up, and it was called something like Folk Magic and Alvin's Hand and like all this crazy shit.
1: Sounds exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: we listened to this 45 minute long uh, podcast, and it talks about Joseph Smith being a treasure digger. And he was in trouble with the law because he was scamming people. Also exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, he was. <laughs> <thrilling>. <laughs> he was he was finding stones and calling them oracles. Basically, they were seer stones. And then he would say, "I can find gold on your property because I have this magic stone. I can look in, and it will tell me where the treasure is." So he would go and then the treasure would just magically like keep slipping back into the hill. Like, oh, oh, sorry. Miles would be so into that shit. (laughs) (laughs) It actually has a lot to do with like pirates and pirate treasure and like this crazy folk magic era that he was living in. You know, like in the 1800s in New York. It was super, I mean, the real story is so interesting. The, The stuff they tell you in church is so boring. Like the real story is insane. And then there's all this stuff about, like, the Book of Mormon was guarded by a Spaniard with a slit throat. And, like, the the spirit of this Spaniard kept, like, shocking him so he couldn't get the plates. This was, like, stuff that blew my mind. Like, Was this the first time you were hearing it in yes, the podcast?
0: Yes. And you believed that that was, like, what was... I mean, how...
1: How does this conflict with what you were taught in church? And why was this like what blew the lid off the gas? So
2: what I was taught in church and by the missionaries and by years of seminary and Sunday school every day is that Joseph Smith goes into the garden, into the woods in New York and prays. And God and Jesus appear to him and they say, you've been chosen, blah, blah, blah. And so they come back, and then an angel comes back, and an angel gives him the book, the golden plates. Okay. And the golden plates are buried in a hill that he has to dig up, and they were buried and hidden there by people that lived like thousands of years ago on the American continent. Okay. So confusing. Sorry,
0: guys. So, what about this podcast, Rain Trudy, or what about this podcast was like the the thing that was like, wait, this isn't right, or this is weird? So he had
2: articles, he had newspaper documents. He he ref- So it was like
0: historically documented. Yes, Got
2: he it. referred to the fact that the church has acknowledged this seer stone, and I was like, what? The church has the church has in its possession this magic stone that Joseph Smith put into a hat and looked and read and translated the Book of Mormon. We were told none of this. Like, this was not a part of the story. The story was very spiritual and very
1: emotional, and that's it. That's all you know about it. So, as a person of such devout faith who wholeheartedly believed this to be true word for word, to be then have the rug pulled out from under you for something that took place a little over 200 years ago. Right. You I mean things that you can fact check it that for you was kind of the tipping point where it's like if that is not true what they're telling me then the rest of it right? I was I was Mormon because it was true. Right. Like there was no
2: ifs ands or buts. Like this is the one way back to heaven, my family's sealed for eternity. If this is not true like I I wasn't having a good time at church anymore. And I mean, people use this to discredit my story. Like, oh, you just wanted to leave. You just wanted to drink coffee. You just wanted to drink wine with your husband. You were tired. You didn't want to put in the work. Hmm. It's like, no, I put in the work for so many years. Like, nobody has any idea how hard it is to get four kids ready for church at 8 o'clock in the morning by yourself when your husband's (sighs) in the bishopric and he travels for work. I don't know. Like, nope. <laughs> I did this for years and years and years, and I did it because it was true. So then I listened to this podcast, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" Did you
0: immediately believe it when you listened to the podcast? Yeah.
2: There, there were so many facts, and there were so many statements, and I knew Abe had been researching this and yeah. trying.
0: So you trusted his judgment. I on trusted it too.
2: Abe's judgment. Abe's like, "No, I've looked into this, the church," and then I went on the church website and read an article about the seer stone. And I'm like, I've never heard of the Sear Stone before in my life. I've been a member for 20 years.
1: So give me this shelf analogy because this was what broke your shelf.
2: So when Prop 8 was going on, I was like, I don't feel comfortable. But the prophet came out and told people to support Prop 8,
1: and which so, is against gay marriage. Which is for, against is this gay California marriage.
2: thing. It, it, yes. Yeah. Okay. So Prop people 8, who aren't
1: in California, this was an anti-gay marriage bill.
2: I my heart hurt like thinking that I was making people feel uncomfortable or that if somebody was gay and they knew I was Mormon that they would automatically feel judged by me like the whole scenario just felt really wrong to me but I was following my prophet by supporting it and that
1: I put on the shelf. And the prophet's like the
0: pope kind of, right? Yes. Or like, the, like a really high
2: up there.
1: Yes. It's okay. the person who the, talks to God within your religion. Yes,
2: like face-to-face in the temple. He talks to God. So I was like, I don't understand this. I'll put it on the shelf. Then I was a Sunday school teacher, and I had to teach these little kids about, like, God cursing people that lived in America and cursing them by making their skin darker. <gasps> So wild! <laughs> wow, and I had never heard that. That like makes my stomach cry. I know. And I, I skipped over the lesson. I was like, yeah. I am not teaching these kids that God cursed people with dark skin. Like, give me a break. I put that on the shelf. Like, the scriptures don't really feel good to me when I read them. So you, you know put I mean?
1: all these things on the shelf that don't feel good to you. Right. So that's what that's what the shelf is made of, doubts.
2: The shelf Toxic is all the
1: things Things, that, abuse.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had uncomfortable bishops interviews where they were asking me inappropriate questions. I felt humiliated. I did not feel the spirit. I felt disgusting. I put that on the shelf. God knows. The church is good. Everybody, you know and i prayed about these things i studied the scriptures and finally your shelf gets so full of things that make you feel gross and make you feel like you it's called cognitive dissonance yeah where like your your thoughts don't you can't match it up and feel good about what you believe mm-hmm. anymore and it's such an uncomfortable feeling and Then you finally get one more piece and you're like, wait, wait, I did all this because some guy, some crazy guy put a rock in a hat, a rock that he was scamming people with. I've dedicated my life to this and I've never heard this story. Even if this is the only thing, why did they hide this? Why did the church hide this? Why did they hide the fact that it was a rock in a hat? Every single Mormon should know that the Book of Mormon was translated with a magic rock in a hat by a guy who was then used that power to marry 36 women. And some of them were 14. Some of them were married before. Every Mormon should know that. That's yeah, they fact. they The church admits that. If you're going to be in a high-demand religion where you pay 10% of your income... You don't believe that you have any spirituality yourself. There's somebody in between you and God. Mm. Always.
1: That's the problem. That is the problem. For every decision. There should never be... You should never feel trapped in a place where you do not have a direct line to God.
2: There should never be any deception in a relationship like that. There's so much trust when you are believing that these men, they're all... Men that are leaders of the church are direct lines to God, and that you have to go to them for answers. They have to be infallible, they have to be perfect because if they're not, everything crashes, everything falls apart. And you're like, Wait, that guy that was asking me those inappropriate questions, maybe he wasn't doing that for God. Wait, what? (laughs) Like, and it explodes in two seconds and you lose everything.
1: Gosh. <laughs> okay. Well, this is, I, this story is every time to me. It's so moving and it's so amazing. And I know that after this moment of reckoning with Abe, after you heard the podcast, after everything kind of came crashing down, you got to rebuild. There was, there's healing, there is a rebirth of sorts, there's finding yourself, there's finding what your connection to God means now, and you know what, we're going to talk about that in part two yeah, next this is, week.
0: This is certainly not the end of the story here, but before we go, I just want to thank you again, Maribel, for your strength and your courage in speaking out and sharing your story. I think that it helps so many people, whether it be the Mormon religion or not. Um, There's so many lessons of just being able to question and being able to stick to what your gut feels true and your relationship directly with God. So thank you.
2: Right. There's a light at the end of the tunnel.
1: We love you so much. We can't wait to talk to you next week. In the meantime, would you like to plug your Instagram for anyone who wants to reach out with a similar story or just wants to see where you're at? Maybe you have some words of wisdom for those who are lost in a similar situation.
2: Um, If you are feeling lost, it does get better. You can find a community of people who have gone through the same thing. Because no matter what religion or group or anything that you're deciding doesn't feel authentic anymore, there are other people who have left that Mm -hmm. same thing. Yes. And maybe they're shunned. Maybe they're not. Maybe you're led to believe that they're scary, but they're out there and they will be there for you. So, there's lots of ways. There's Facebook groups. Um, You can get in contact with me if you need a friend and need to talk about something. Because um, it really is something that will bond people. And you need to talk it out. You need to talk it out. My Instagram is Marivelle is me. And it's M-E-R... I V as in Victor, A L E and then is me, I S M E. She's so <laughs> much better at that. Than I am.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she really is. And we'll go ahead and um when we post about this episode, we'll link her um her handle in the the comments or in the caption if you will. Yep. All right, you guys, we love you so much. Thank you for love listening. You we'll catch up next week. Bye. Bye.